Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless Possible. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, Zara McDonald. Hello, Michelle Andrews. Coming up on today's <laughs> show, Zac Efron has a new girlfriend, and I'm sorry, but it's not you. Plus, we'd love to know how Wayne Carey is still one of the country's biggest faces on TV. And then the Kardashians are cancelled cancelled with a K, of course. So what does this say about the changing nature of TV habits and celebrity? But first, Michelle, how was your week? Before I tell you anything about my week, I feel like that is such a boomer comment from you. <laughs> like you just had to say cancelled with a K. It is such a telltale sign that someone does not watch or does not really care about keeping up with the Kardashians if you are still stuck on the K thing. I'm sorry, but their names are Chris, Kylie, Courtney, Kim, Kendall. Like, obviously, we're all going to make K a thing because they made K the thing. You're like 26 going on 46 right now as you talk about them. Anyone who loves the show got over that and passed that in about 2012. But my week, onto my week, it was a good week. You and I have both worked a lot over the last month. I think we worked 29 days in a row without a day off. And so anyone, Dan Andrews, would know who works that many days without a day off is a little bit tired and a little bit stressed. You comparing the bit- stress of our job to old mate Dan Andrews. <laughs> The exact same. He knows exactly how we feel. It gets to you, right? Like we were feeling a little bit burnt out. So we took Thursday off as a mental health day. Thank God Melbourne really turned it on for us. We had some brilliant sunshine, Zara, and I feel much better for it. What about you? Oh, for sure. When Melbourne turns it on, it really turns it on. And to be fair, it doesn't turn it on very often. (laughs) But... When it's on, it's really, really on. Once in a blue moon, when the sun comes out, we really make the most of it. It was like a revelation to go for a walk with Mitch and Benji and not have my huge puffer jacket on. Yeah. Like to be able to have my arms out in the open. It was a big, big deal for me. So very excited that it's spring, of course. 
the OG listeners will know I'm very excited for the bees. Welcome back to the bees. Very happy for you all. I actually haven't seen the bees in a while. Any bees? Yeah, well, as I've said, it's a growing concern. We all need to be. Oh, concerned so true. For the, bees. the bees are becoming extinct. Yeah, exactly. As well as coronavirus, the bees are the real reason the world's going to end, and it's extremely concerning. But I do have a recommendation for you, Zara. Bring it. I want to recommend concrete jellyfish earrings. Now, I had never heard of this brand before I came across them. Uh, We follow an incredible artist and designer called Rachel Sara. She shared that she was doing a collaboration with Concrete Jellyfish and I was like, okay, I need to check this out. It is an Australian handmade jewelry business and holy shit, they sell out so quickly. So let me preface it with this. Number one, they sell out super fucking quickly. So if you want to get some cool earrings, you need to be on it and you need to follow them on Instagram and you need to like set your alarm and be ready. Number two, as far as jewelry goes, as someone who is pretty cheap, not going to lie, with the kind of jewelry that I tend to go for, it's a little <laughs> bit on the pricier side. So for a pair of earrings, you're looking upwards of $60 because it is handmade and it's really like carefully curated. Yeah. It's art, right? It's art. It's completely art. And I think yeah. that's why they collab with people like Rachel because Rachel is so great at what she does and is a designer and puts so much thought and her energy, I guess, into each design that she puts out into the world. But... Let me tell you, I got one pair of earrings before everything else sold out and I've never received more compliments on a pair of earrings, which is quite the feat given I'm in fucking lockdown (laughs) and people are only seeing them on my Instagram feed. So go check them out. Go follow them on Instagram. Concrete Jellyfish cannot recommend their earrings more highly. I love them and I love that recommendation. Thank you very much. How was your week? My week was great. Much the same as yours, I think. It was very lovely that we had a day off on Thursday Weather's getting a little bit better. I also am quite partial to spring. So welcome spring. Happy to have you here. My recommendation for the week, I finished watching Little Fires Everywhere with Kerry Washington and Reese Witherspoon. I read the book, I think, when it first came out. It's one of the only TV shows I've watched after reading the book where I had almost completely forgotten the plot. And it was so weird because I was like, I can't remember what happened. So I wanted to make all these predictions on what had happened, but I didn't know if it was my subconscious talking or my conscious mind talking. I don't know if any of that makes sense. Um, (laughs) But I'm not going to lie. You said that and I said, "Mm, mm," and was nodding. And I was like, I have no fucking idea what she's talking. It's one of those things where it's like, if you say it confidently enough, nobody questions you, which is half my role on this podcast. Say it confidently enough and people are like, sure, okay. For those who haven't read the book or watched the series, I'm going to absolutely massacre the plot line. But essentially, it focuses on one family who live in this fictional town in Ohio called Shaker Heights. It is like the ultimate suburban white area of America. (laughs) And Kerry Washington's character Mia and her daughter Pearl kind of enter the suburb and start working for one of the families there. One of the families, of course, headed up family headed up by Reese Witherspoon's character. (laughs) It is so good. I feel like I'm not even going to be able to explain the plot because I haven't done a very good explanation of why I liked the series anyway. But just watch it. Just fucking watch it. Your words won't do it justice. So we'll just leave the professionals and the experts to do their thing and you can just move right along. Yeah, all I'll say is it's on Amazon Prime. So that's the helpful part of my recommendation. (laughs) Mish, before I get more tongue-tied as we go, let's go to the hotline because we have some absolutely banger messages from people this week. Thank you so much to everyone who called in. Of course, we're going to start with a 2.7%. Hello to Paul. Hey, Michelle and Zara. Paul here, one of your keen male listeners. Just wanted to let you know how powerful Michelle's in-conversation interview was. I hold a men's health 
mental space uh, once a week and I recommended your in conversation to the guys and we had our follow-up session this week and every single one of the guys got something out of that interview. Keep up the good work and uh, us males are cheering you on. Take care. Paul, my fucking heart is just so happy that you called in. When I listen to this, and by the way, as you said, Zara, shout out to everyone who's been calling the Shameless Hotline. We are getting inundated with voicemail messages and it is the highlight of my week listening to them all. But Paul's message made me so bloody happy, like the thought of this group of men talking about mental health and listening to that episode, which was, of course, really hard for me to put out and for you to put out as well, Zara. And then taking something away from it or feeling like they had a new perspective on something just fills me with joy. Yeah, it was a really, really beautiful message. So thank you, Paul, for A, loving the episode of Michelle and B, sharing it with your friends and the people that you work with. We are so appreciative. The 2.7% strikes again. We also, Zara, have listener Hermani. Last week, we asked the listeners to call in if they're from a country that probably isn't our core demographic to give us a hotline call. Hermani did exactly that. Hi lovelies, I just wanted to send in a message. I'm actually from Qatar, which is a Middle Eastern country very close to Saudi Arabia, and I actually found your podcast when I was searching for Camila Cabello's Shameless song, and I typed in Shameless and this podcast popped up, so I tap on it and I started listening, and I've been obsessed ever since. So yes, thank you, you guys are doing an amazing job. And I really look forward for every episode. Poor Hermani. Imagine, imagine <laughs> searching for a Camila Cabello song and stumbling <laughs> on this pile of shit. This voicemail, this hotline message really made me think that a bunch of our international listeners have probably stumbled across us by accident. Yeah. Like in Australia, maybe your friends listen and it's kind of like word of mouth or same with New Zealand. But in Qatar, you're probably finding us as a mistake and then you're maybe (laughs) hanging on because we're like not terrible or you don't completely hate us. I would love to know some more accidental shameless podcast stories. Like how did you find us if you weren't intending to listen to the show? That's actually a very good question. That is an awesome question because it's like an accidental pregnancy. Like how did you accidentally find us and pursue it anyway? Please call us. Our last hotmail for today, Mish, is from Joe. Hi, Mish and Zara. My name's Joe. I am a newly single person living alone in Melbourne. I'm already emotional. I just wanted to thank you guys so much for talking about how your social circles had changed. I cannot express like as soon as you said it I felt absolute relief because I was just like thank god I'm not the only one I've been trying to figure out like what's wrong with me what I'm doing wrong like I've reached out to a couple of people and I just get like dead end messages and stuff people just don't seem to have the social energy so I've gone from having what I thought was a big social circle before COVID to maybe speaking to five people And it was just so reassuring and comforting to know that I'm not the only one. Like, this is sort of the norm at the moment. This is the new normal for us. Joe, let us say you are so completely not alone in this. And it breaks my heart to hear you get upset on the phone about feeling like your social circle has shrunk and that you have also lost a relationship in this time. It's really tricky and really hard. But there are so many people in that boat with you. You are the opposite of alone. Yeah, 100%. And I wish that we could show Joe right now how many DMs we got over the last week from people who feel exactly the same. 
And I think it's probably not a conversation that we've had very much about how when something big does happen to the world, people kind of go into their shells a little bit more. And and also Mm. just as we get older, the nature of friendship does change. So I think if there's one conversation I really want to keep having, Mish, with you on this podcast, it's how friendships do change over time. And I think our public discourse around friendship can sometimes be a little bit alienating and make people feel a little lonely because I know I definitely have felt like that before. Yeah, well, you know what's been really surprising to me, Zara? We've said this in interviews as well, that when we published The Space Between, our new book together, the one essay I felt the most self-conscious about and that I felt like was probably my worst work in the book was actually my essay on toxic friendships and breaking up with a friend on the cusp of my 20s. I went into this book releasing process thinking that was my weakest work. It's probably the one essay I've gotten the most feedback on with people saying, oh my God, finally something that speaks to the pain of losing a good friend or a best friend, particularly in a time like this. I think so many of us, there's probably not a listener tuning in today who can't relate to the experience of losing friends, particularly in 2020. Yeah, it's completely discombobulating. And I think the one thing that most friendship breakups have in common is the fact that you never get closure and you are Mm. often afforded closure with romantic relationships. Not always but often. So like I said before, Joe, you are not alone. Thank you so much for calling in and we are sending you love. This is a hard time for everyone, but we will get through it. We absolutely will. Zara, on to today's first segment. We need to lament the fact that Zac Efron is off the market and that a woman by the name of Vanessa Valadares is living our dream. Nessie, I think they called her, or Ness, the source (laughs) in the story, called her Ness. Yes, what a story is this one. So for those who missed it, news broke this week that Zac Efron, of course, as Michelle just said, is off the market, but not just off the market. He is dating a 25-year-old waitress he met in Byron Bay, and I think we posted a pretty good meme last week, Mish. I say we, it was actually you, which was something to do with how... (laughs) Vanessa is now living everybody else's dream. We did post on Instagram about this because you and I received the news of Zac Efron and Vanessa Valadares with like a dagger in the heart. This is what we posted. Zac Efron is dating a 25-year-old waitress he met while she was working. It's so hard to see someone else living your dream. About 10,000 shameless listeners got behind that and a further 1,000 tagged their girlfriend so we could all have a collective weep. If you are still a bit confused about what's going on, apparently these two have been dating since June. Zac Efron has officially moved to Byron Bay. It doesn't seem like he has any intention of leaving. Seems happy as a clam up in like the celeb hub of Australia. And they were paparazzied or paparazzoed. What is the term for that, Zara? Paparazzoed? What? I mean, to be honest, I don't know and I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) They were papped together in Byron Bay. This is the quote from People magazine. In the snap, Efron dressed casually in a black hat and black shirt while occupied on his phone. Beside him, Veladeris was all smiles in a white shirt and black miniskirt. Now, I know that I'm in a five-year-long happy relationship and my boyfriend Mitch is literally in the next room probably listening to every single word that I'm saying right now because I force him to shut up for the entire time that we record. Despite the fact I'm very happy in my life, I can't help but think I was supposed to be Vanessa Valadares. This is the funniest part. Like, why is this genuinely every straight girl's fantasy? Like, it's so (laughs) fucked, but it's true. Like, what is it about me? Because when I was growing up, I always thought that this would happen to me, right? And I'm not even saying that jokingly, like, or ironically. Like, that was 100% (laughs) true. And I'm like, what is it about me? Like, what is it about the arrogance in me that thinks the only reason I'm not with a celebrity is because of geographical difficulties? Because growing up, I always thought that if I was put in front 
front of a celebrity, of course, they'd find me kind of shy and down to earth and so different to the rest of the industry that they'd just like jump on my bandwagon, if that is a thing. It very weirdly is a lot of straight girls' fantasies and I don't know where it comes from. I reckon Zac Efron more than anyone else as well. Well, I think... One of my favorite things about social media, right, is you realize that you are not an idiot in thinking the ridiculous things that you think and feel. And I feel this so intensely. Like, I feel this intensely that this was supposed to be my life. But also, I remember when I was like a teenager, like a moody teenager back in the high school musical days, if I was on like a holiday with my family, I'd be like wandering off, like looking all mysterious and like hoping some local celebrity notices me for being this really like mysterious teenager kind of like the Lizzie McGuire movie like I thought I'd be Lizzie McGuire and I would meet my Pablo just wandering the streets of a new city and so recently I've been watching all these TikToks of people saying that that's a thing when you're a teenager you're like walking around on family holiday thinking you're like some mysterious girl and that someone's going to pluck you out of obscurity I'm like this must be a universal feeling. I have literally no at- fucking idea what you're talking about right now. <laughs> like literally not at all an idea. What I used to do, and this is such a tangent, and we need to get back to Zach Elfram very soon, is when I was younger, I thought I was a much better singer than I am. And I thought the reason that I wasn't like a famous singer is because nobody of note had heard me sing. So I used to <laughs> sing really loudly in my driveway, thinking that if my neighbour heard me, then maybe he would send the tape on to someone that counts. Now, I've sung occasionally on this podcast and we all know it's not because I wasn't discovered that I'm not a famous singer. I feel like that's a universal feeling that we all kind of create these fictional scenarios in our heads that we think we're destined for. I think that is true. That's the only true thing you've said of the last three minutes. I did want to read you a line from The Cut because it was my favourite lead in any article of this entire story. Give it to me. And they wrote last week, big congrats to actor Zac Efron who has reportedly bagged himself a hot normie partner, an achievement to which all celebrities, I think, should aspire. I did love that. A hot normie partner. Well, it's the best kind of hot. Hot normal where you're not trying too hard. You just happen to be hot and happen to be a normal person. What I do find interesting, Mish, about this story is they don't follow each other on Instagram. And I wonder, there must be something to that. Like there must be some weird high profile relationship thing. I don't know. That means they probably can't follow each other on Instagram, but I'm not sure what it is. Dare I say they're too cool to care and they're probably too cool (laughs) to give a fuck about who they follow on Instagram. Like I think you bringing that up as an interesting point highlights how fucking basic bitch we both are. (laughs) You're so right. They don't give a flying fuck about social media. They're just living this very authentic, cool, new, hot romance. (laughs) And here am I pouring over the stupid details. Let me tell you this. Vanessa Valadares has more cool factor in her fingernail than you and I do combined. Like, she's the most chic woman I think I've ever laid eyes on. When I scroll through her Instagram feed, I'm blown away by how effortlessly chic and cool and calm she seems to be. Like, she radiates Byron Bay vibes. You and I radiate chaotic Melbourne vibes. Okay. I've been to Byron Bay heaps, so I actually don't agree with that completely. But no, she is very, very cool. I did want to ask one question before we hit the quick and dirty up, Mish, and that is what is with the enduring allure of Zac Efron? Because he's not perfect, but why do you think it is that straight women still love Zac Efron all the way from High School Musical to now? 
I think he's just endured because he is such a hot person to look at, right? Like, I remember Zac Efron being my bread and butter when I was 12 and High School Musical came out in 2006. Like, I was in love with Troy Bolton then and that love has endured to Zac Efron in 2020. He just seems to, like, evolve with the ages. He was in the floppy haircut phase. He cut it and then had, like, the cool, like, spiky haircut phase. And he just seems to know what women want. Like, he seems to just mirror exactly what the kind of man of the moment is and deliver it to a T. I think it's the hot, boring factor. Like, he really doesn't give us much. <laughs> he has generally been quite a boring celebrity to be invested in, which is kind of, you know, pretty good over time. I will say, though, one blip on his record is that fucked scene from High School Musical 2 where he's running on the golf course singing Bet On It and singing into his <laughs> golf club. And he's, like, pulling his fists into <laughs> his, like, stomach. Anyone who has seen that scene will know exactly what I'm talking about. It is the worst scene in any TV or movie. I will not hear otherwise. <laughs> But beyond that, I do love him. The one thing I do want to raise, and this is such an anti-feminist comment, but fuck it, I'm like a guilty feminist at the best of times. The one thing that makes me not love Zac Efron as hard as I did when I was a teenager is the fact that he's shorter than me. Like I just that can't get past the fact. Poor, poor he, thing to think. But he's 173 centimeters, so I've got six centimeters on him, and I just can't look past that. I, I know six it's centimeters so on Zac Efron. Yeah, 179. What am I? You're oh mate. You wouldn't even. <laughs> You'd be lucky I'm not to on crack the scale. 160. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he'd be taller than me. So there you go. He's mine. He's all mine. See you later. <laughs> Thank you, next bitch. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. Every week we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle. Zara Ellis, fine-footed, 160 centimetre on a good day, maybe, McDonald. What have you got for me? My first story. Sarah's Day has been called out for cultural appropriation again after buying a didgeridoo. That is from Pedestrian. This story kind of got a lot of legs, I think, on Sunday night, Monday morning last week after we had recorded Mish, but a really important story to touch on. Yeah, so context for anyone who missed this one. Sarah's Day, who is a popular health and fitness influencer, we have spoken about her quite regularly, Zara, in the past, particularly when we felt like she has promulgated health misinformation to the masses. She bought a yadaki, which is commonly known as a didgeridoo, for her fiancé, Kurt, as a Father's Day present. So Kurt wrote this about the present on Instagram. Thanks, mate. Such a great Father's Day gift. What a special gift rich with so much culture. I would also like to take this opportunity to acknowledge the Dharawal-speaking people who are traditional custodians of the Sutherland Shire. Now, that all sounds fine until you do a little bit of research and it appears that the shop that Sarah's Day purchased this Yidaki from, Spirit Gallery, aren't very transparent with where they get their Aboriginal artefacts from. And it's also not clear if it's an Indigenous-owned business as well, Mish, which is a big concern of people like Olivia Williams, who runs the account Black Business, who drew my attention firstly to what was going on on Kurt's Instagram. Because what did happen is that a lot of Aboriginal and First Nations Australians did comment on the post, but these comments were systematically deleted. And it raises a really interesting question of like, what is the point of wanting to pay tribute to Indigenous culture if you're then going to silence Aboriginal and Indigenous voices who kind of take issue with how you are doing that? Yeah, it's completely 
counteractive and counterproductive. If you're saying that you're doing this to acknowledge the Dharawal speaking people and you're doing this to share culture with your audience, why are you silencing black voices? Like, I do not think there is an excuse for it. I do not think there is any reason to be going through and hiding comments or deleting comments from people who exist within the very culture you purport to be supporting. And this is not the first time Sarah's Day and Kurt Tills have been caught up in a racial issue or a cultural appropriation issue like this. And I feel like their messaging very rarely actually matches up with their actions. If you are going to say that you're listening and you're educating yourself and you're wanting to learn, then why the hell are you silencing the people who are trying to educate you? I really enjoyed Misha piece that Olivia Williams did write for Huffington Post. And she wrote in that story, whilst learning comes in many forms, such as reading, watching, observing, and interacting, listening is a fundamental tenet to meaningful education. In particular, listening to the voices of those you are learning about should not be avoided no matter how uncomfortable that experience may be. Yeah, and we actually had some really great conversations with Olivia Williams behind the scenes via DMs and we asked her if she was interested in writing a statement for the Shameless community and I'm really glad that she said yes. So she did write to our listeners, my first approach on black business is not to publicly criticize. I first contact people such as influencers and journalists via private message as this promotes more meaningful conversation and learning. In this case, when my previous offer for education was ignored and people were being silenced the deleting and restricting of comments, I felt frustrated and therefore took to my own Instagram story to have a voice. I appreciate that defensiveness is a natural response when we are challenged, but when you have a large following and influence, it's important to respond with empathy and logic. Olivia went on to write that she would advise all influencers or anyone with a platform to be proactive in their learning about cultural issues. Just because you haven't faced criticism for your content doesn't mean you should be complacent with your learning. For those in Australia, remember that you are always on Aboriginal land. Take responsibility for your learning by engaging with content and resources that introduce you to new knowledge and perspectives. Remember that engaging with content does not necessarily mean resharing content. Begin learning in silence, away from your followers, and once you're confident in your knowledge, share this with others. Sometimes we get things wrong. What's important is how we respond and how we move forward to do better. Thank you to Olivia for giving us that statement. We will put the full piece up on our Instagram stories for anyone to read on Monday morning, which is, of course, when this episode goes live. My second story, Mish, The Bachelor's Bella turns on best friend Irina. That is from the Daily Mail. And what a whirlwind in The Bachelor this week. Two best friends turn out to to not be friends at all. I was so fucking confused. Yeah, I think everyone who's watching this right now is feeling pretty perplexed. If you're not watching the show, you would have heard Zara and I wheel out these exact names, Bella and Irina, about three weeks ago when we had to name who we think will win Lockie's heart. Zara said Irina from memory? Yes, I said Irina and Bella will be the runner-up. Yes, I said Bella and would not hear any alternative. In my mind, after watching the premiere... Bella was absolutely going to be walking away with Lockie at the end of this show. But now, a few weeks in, it appears that some form of like jealousy or competition has probably strained this best friendship of the show. Completely. And I agree with you. I was watching it during the week being like, I just feel like this is one of those storylines where a lot has been cut out and the rest of us are really fucking Mm. confused. But maybe that's how they're going to get people talking about it because people have no idea what's going on. So I think maybe a successful editing thing from The Bachelor producers to kind of leave out core bits of the story. So we are left wondering, for those who still are still interested, the Oracle still predicts that Irina will win because there's (laughs) 
just no way after this storyline are they putting Bella up to be the winner. Like there's no way. They are absolutely framing Irina as the winner. I won't hear anything else. I know you're trying to talk into your microphone, but I am moving on to my third story. Sophia Ritchie and Jaden Smith loved hanging out on a beach date. They kept flirting and hugging. That is from Nine Honey. And what a random, you know, reunion from Sophia Ritchie and Jaden Smith. Did you know they dated when they were 15 years old? Oh, fuck off. I literally told you that <laughs> fact before we jumped on the microphone. I know. Yes, <laughs> I knew. They Look, the reason we're putting this in the quick and dirty, guys, there's no real reason other than the fact that they're two really hot young people. Sophia Ritchie is fresh out of a relationship with Scott Disick that lasted three years. She's now moved on to Jaden Smith. And I like looking at paparazzi photos of young, hot people frolicking on the beach. Weird tidbit here. I did a bit of deep diving after I saw this story. And recently, I mean, and when I say recently, I literally mean in the last day or two, the Mirror (laughs) published a story saying a huge hint that Sophia Ritchie and Scott Disick were getting back together, acknowledging that even though Jaden and Sophia, sorry, so many names, were spotted frolicking on the beach, Sophia uploaded an Instagram story where... Scott's pet sausage dog, Hershula, runs up to join her. (laughs) How the fuck do you explain Hershula's involvement in this story if they aren't getting back together? Oh, wait, it's so Hershula. Hershula? It's definitely Hershula, not Hershula. Anyway, whatever. It's a sausage dog. You and names is like painful to listen to. Look, my thoughts on that, just operating on gut instinct, is it's entirely possible that she and Scott Disick bought dogs together or co-own those dogs. So it's entirely possible they've got like a shared custody arrangement. She just wants to visit her sausage dog. Okay, fair call. Fourth story. <laughs> the world's best selfie has been achieved. That is from The Cut. And Zendaya takes the crown where nobody actually voted. (laughs) Again, almost entirely meaningless story, but what are we here for if it's not for the meaningless gossip stuff? So The Cut has announced that Zendaya's series of selfies, sun-baked selfies, are officially the world's best selfies ever. While you're listening to us talk about these, you may as well go over to her Instagram profile and have a bit of a peruse while we speak about them. Basically, they've got 10 million likes and they are some of the most alluring selfies I've ever seen in my life. I love this paragraph from The Cut, who wrote the masterpiece selfies. By the way, imagine having your (laughs) selfies ever be called a masterpiece. Posted on Instagram and Twitter, sans caption, a fitting choice on the artist's behalf, considering many who (laughs) cast their eyes upon the gleaming glory were left speechless. Look, is it the selfie or is it just that Zendaya is perhaps the most insanely beautiful and attractive human being to ever grace this good earth it's a pretty fucked up selfie i will say it's a good (laughs) selfie you hate selfies as well so i feel like this is a big endorsement from someone who is vehemently anti-selfie it's because i don't know how to take a selfie to save myself i think i'm pulling a normal face and then i look at it and i'm like i'm not sure what the fuck my face is doing have you ever posted a selfie on instagram i don't think you have no i don't (gasps) think you have So if I ever do, everybody really has to get around me because I was so nervous. You have to be honest. Yeah. Do you judge people who post selfies like me? I think selfies are so commonplace now that I often don't connect the dots. Like I don't actually consider it a selfie or you don't consider the work that goes into the photo when you see it. You just see the end product and you're like, that's a hot photo. I like it. No, I just, I don't know. I don't know how. I honestly don't know how. And that's not some weird humble brag being like, I just don't know how to do it. (laughs) 
I, I just, I'm, I just feel is it, awkward. Is it that you don't know what to do with your mouth? Yes. I can imagine your mouth like twitching Part awkwardly. Part of me thinks that if I ever uploaded a selfie where I wasn't smiling and trying to be serious, I would just get absolutely roasted <laughs> for like trying to be cool. Like, do you know what I mean? And I'm just like, I, just, I think it's a two brother thing. I think anyone with two brothers knows like the fear that if you posted it, both your brothers would come for you. Yeah, my sister probably would too. I think they'd all come for me. That's just having siblings, I reckon. Anyway, my fifth story. This is one of my favourite stories from the week. Exclusive. Katie Holmes knew her restaurateur toy boy was engaged to another woman when they cooked up, rebounding from her heartbreaking split with Jamie Foxx, who had a roving eye and was not into PDA like her new fling. That is from the Daily Mail. And that is one of the best headlines I've ever had the pleasure of reading out on this show. <laughs> like the last half of that was completely irrelevant so irrelevant like jamie fox doesn't even really come up in this story as you guys will realize in a second and yet we get a nod to his roving eye anyway just to, just to repeat for those who might have missed that rebounding from her heartbreaking split with jamie fox who had a roving eye and was not into pda like her new family so katie holmes was papped Kissing, making out, smooching with a new man, a toy boy, as the Daily Mail call it. And he turned out to be Emilia Vitolo Jr., who is the son of, you know, apparently a very well-known restaurateur in America. Named? You haven't done your research? No, I don't know. And I, I didn't actually even know the city that the restaurant was in, so I quickly just said America to cover my bases. What ended up happening after these photos were published is news broke that Mr. Emilio was actually engaged until almost the day before or the day of these photos being published, and he texted his fiancée of 18 months to break up with her just before the photos came out. How wild's that? Pray for Rachel Emmons, who is Amelia Vitolo Jr.'s now ex-fiancé. Imagine being broken up with via text from a fiancé that then is papped in every newspaper in the developed world, making out with a like really famous fucking celebrity. Yeah, it's a pretty terrible thing to do, isn't it? I mean, that kind of goes without saying. Just a random story considering Katie Holmes was dating Jamie Foxx for six years and was not photographed with him almost ever ever Mm. they were so so private and then suddenly she's dating someone and making out with him on the streets of america (laughs) (laughs) but not just dating someone dating someone who's engaged to another woman like sorry i'm gonna be really honest and really blunt about this i'm judging a little bit if he's still engaged to her and that is the leaked news that he texted his fiance the day these photos were published I judge everyone involved. I judge Emilio Vitolo Jr. more than anyone else. But absolutely, Katie Holmes is implicated in that. I do not like that behaviour at all. You tell him, sister. That is all I've got for you. Let me go down in flames by myself, why don't you? (laughs) I agree with you. It sort of goes without saying. It's terrible behaviour. Coming up after the break, why is Wayne Carey still a TV star? And why it's finally time to say goodbye to keeping up with the Kardashians. But first, a word from today's sponsor. Last night, the first episode of Channel 7's The All New Monty aired. The show, which is in its third season, sees 15 Australian celebrities learn a choreographed partially nude dance to raise awareness for breast and prostate cancer. And in 2020, the lineup looks pretty good. Patty Newton, Samuel Johnson, Liesl Jones, Fiona O'Loughlin, oh, and Wayne Carey. Yes, Wayne Carey, the football star with an extensive history of domestic violence charges and allegations. Mish, let's start with your gut reaction to the news 
that a man with a lengthy history of violence against women is yet again given a prime spot on national television. My gut reaction is I'm incensed by it. I mean, Wayne Carey's position in Australian media has been something that I have felt incredibly passionate about since 2016. Before we did this podcast, when we were writers at Mamma Mia, I remember actually putting out a Facebook status when I saw Wayne Carey commentating footy on White Ribbon Night. That's now a defunct night. White Ribbon Night isn't recognised, but at the time it was to recognise domestic violence and starting a conversation. And I saw Wayne Carey on my television screen beamed into lounge rooms across the country And I remember thinking then at 22, what the fuck is he doing on my television? And here I am in 2020 thinking, okay, I've given up on football. I've given up on the AFL caring, really caring about domestic violence victims and caring about violence against women. But now I have to replace that anger to all primetime television or to Channel 7 in general, because here he is outside of the football sphere on primetime television again. Yeah, and that status of yours from 2016, I remember so well because it went so bananas. Like it went a bit nuts on Facebook. And this is when Facebook was much a much kind of more shareable platform than it is now. And it did inspire us the next day when we were working at Mamma Mia to write an op-ed on this. It also did really well because it was that idea of like, when did we stop talking about Wayne Carey? One thing I do want to note though, before we get properly into this segment, and I know in a second, Miss, you're going to give the rap sheet so people have a greater sense of context around why we are still outraged about this. But the full Monty, I want to say from the get-go, is a really good concept. Like, I really do like it. For those who don't know what it is, it is, as I said in the intro, a charity strip show, and it does seek to raise awareness for regular health checkups for men and women, shining a spotlight on breast cancer and prostate cancer. I mean, I spoke to you on last week's episode, Mish, that I've had a mother who suffered breast cancer and a dad who suffered prostate cancer, so I really genuinely couldn't be a bigger fan of encouraging people to get regular health checks. It is so important and if anyone listening to this right now is looking for a sign to get one done or waiting for a reminder or a kick up the butt let this be your sign get your breasts checked so I think we're both very aware how important a cause is but I do want to unpack why Wayne Carey is now one of the country's biggest tv stars that is afforded a platform like this outside of the realm of football Yeah, exactly. And anyone who's seen the ads for this program, I mean, the first episode aired last night, he is not just one of the stars involved. I would say he is the marquee star that Channel 7 is using to push the program. He's like the first celebrity that comes up on all of the ads. So why are we so upset? For those who perhaps aren't interested in AFL or don't live in Australia, let's give you a background on who Wayne Carey is. He is widely regarded as one of the best footy players of the 20th century. He was a standout star, really. No one's taking anything away from his athletic achievements. But in 1997, Wayne Carey pleaded guilty to indecent assault after grabbing a passing woman's breast on a busy Melbourne street after 12 hours of drinking with his teammates. He allegedly told her at the time, why don't you get a bigger pair of tits? The club forced him to apologise. Wayne Carey, years later, admitted that he's never really been sorry for that incident. He settled with that woman out of court when she filed a civil suit against him. In the year 2000, Carey provided character evidence for Jason Moran, an infamous gangland criminal who was subsequently murdered in Melbourne's gang war. On a 2004 holiday with his then wife, Wayne Carey was subject to arrest for a misdemeanor battery report while holidaying in Las Vegas. In December 2006, his model girlfriend, Kate Nielsen, allegedly reported Carey to Australian police for domestic violence, alleging he had punched her in the face. 
Subsequently, US security guard Kyle Banks told the Nine Networks a current affair he saw Carey attacking Nielsen while working at the exclusive W Hotel in New York City in October 2006. In Miami, Florida, on the 27th of October 2007, Wayne Carey allegedly glassed Kate Nielsen in the face and neck with a wine glass. When he was arrested for this, he proceeded to kick a female police officer in the mouth. So, Zara, you'll notice none of that even touches on Wayne Carey's various affairs that seem to dominate the media. And we're not even going to bother touching on those because to both of us, his violence against women is far more interesting and far more noteworthy than having a few romantic affairs. Yeah, and as Mish said there, some of those things are stuff that's been settled in and out of court. Some of those things are still allegations. We will put all of that on the record, but it's a pretty extensive rap sheet when you put it all together. I genuinely wonder, Mish, when we stop talking about this. Like, I think we probably stopped talking about his prevalence in the TV and football industry the minute we felt like we were talking into a void. Like I think we have felt for a very long time like we've been talking into a void because nothing was changing. And I think how do you keep yelling about this when there's clearly a system that is working for men who have been violent? Like it is a system that is made up of incredibly powerful people who circle alleged abusers and make sure they are elevated and protected and looked after. And yes, I'm talking about the AFL and I'm talking about Channel 7 who have clearly looked after Kerry here. They have clearly deliberately placed him in this role and trained him up because dare I say he wasn't very good when he started and I don't think that's the most outrageous call of all. He wasn't very good. They've trained him up. They've kept him there even though it's not his skill set and made sure that he's kept that job for years. So there is clearly a circle of very powerful people enabling this to happen. Mm. Dare I say as well, I think I find his place on the all-new Monty to be quite jarring because this is kind of a space where we're holding up celebrities and we're holding up public figures and going, oh my God, how amazing they're doing something for charity. And I'm not taking that away from any of them. Like good on them for giving up their time and doing something that will hopefully help Australians and hopefully save lives and get people to check their breasts or check their prostate. However, I think it's also important just for clarity with the listeners. I would be very, very surprised if this was an unpaid gig for the celebrities that took part. It is very common, even for shows that raise money like Dancing with the Stars or I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. It is basically the norm that celebrities get a really good pay packet to be involved. So I don't want anyone to watch this show and be like, oh, my God, but look at him. He's giving up his time for charity. Maybe he's a reformed man. Maybe that's true. But my involvement with the industry and your involvement with the industry, Zara, tells us that people are paid for this stuff. And this, in all likelihood, is another paid gig. I also want to talk about an argument that I'm sure some listeners will be having in their heads right now with us saying, well, what about redemption? Mm. Like you girls always say that people can redeem themselves and that no one instance defines a person. But for me, This is a man who was never forced to apologize for his violence against women. This is not a man who is out there educating Australians about how you can become a better person or how you can reform or how you can go from beating women and kicking women in the face to being a really good partner, a really good person in society. If anything, Wayne Carey just got away with what he did because it was so many years ago that people just didn't care anymore and the people that were making decisions weren't women. The people that were making decisions to give him jobs were men in boardrooms and unfortunately it is so apparent to me 
that so many men in Australia do not give a fuck about domestic violence. And they can't tell me they do, because if they did, he wouldn't be in a public profile position. Yeah, and I think this is what shits me the most, to be totally honest with you. The faceless men that I said before that are protecting him and keeping him in this job, because it's faceless men time and time again who are giving these people jobs. I mean, you hear, don't you, exactly as you say, people say, well, give the guy another chance. But we aren't talking about a guy who fucked up once and, as you say, went on a very public journey of redemption and forgiveness. We aren't talking about a guy who has actively tried to rewrite his wrongs. As you say, this is a guy that seemed to to get away with it. We're talking about a guy who fucked up and now commentates football, is illuminated by a TV screen and an industry that would never forgive him if he was a person of colour or a woman. I find it outrageous that we have stronger memories of the extramarital affair he engaged in than the violence he perpetuated because I think the media just gave so much more airtime to this very salacious gossip story about him, you know, cheating on his wife with his best friend's wife than they did, you know, the really serious allegations of violence. And I think that says a lot about the state of our media and not just the media, Mish, I think, but the stories we're more inclined to click on, unfortunately. Yeah, and I'm not saying that Wayne Carey can never be employed again. Wayne Carey can be employed, but does he have to be employed in a position that tells Australians that this is what we look up to, that this is what to aspire to be, that this is a hero position? And that's what we do when we put him in charity shows where he's heralded as a star and the only things we talk about are all his accolades on a football field. That is what we do. And particularly at a time when violence against women and family violence is the shadow pandemic of coronavirus, I just think it's so fucking offensive that this is a man that we continue to hold up as the ideal. And it's the same that you can look internationally and it's not just happening in Australia. I mean, Mike Tyson continues to be a pop culture icon. He continues to be put in movies and held up as this hero of the boxing ring when he also has battered and bashed women. And I just, I don't understand it. I can't wrap my head around it. And I don't think anyone listening to this could come to me with an excuse as to why Wayne Carey is deserving of the privilege of having a microphone in front of his face and a camera in front of his face and a huge paycheck every single year. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. And as much as Channel 7 executives might want to turn around and give themselves a pat on the back for this series, I don't think they can because this man should not be on our screens. Three, two, one. It's been 14 years since the first episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians hit our screens and last week the world's most famous family, apart from the royals anyway, announced that it's time to move on. The 20th season of the reality soap hybrid will air in 2021 and it will mark the end of a pop culture era. Without keeping up with the Kardashians, I wouldn't be where I am today, Kim Kardashian West announced on Instagram and Twitter. I'm so incredibly grateful to everyone who has watched and supported me and my family these past 14 incredible years. This show made us who we are and I will forever be in debt to anyone who played a role in shaping our careers and changing our lives forever. Zahra, what was your response to the announcement that keeping up with the Kardashians is ending? I I wasn't really surprised. I mean, I think when any show goes for as long as Keeping Up With The Kardashians has gone on for, like 20 seasons later, you're not going to be shocked that they've decided that, you know, maybe it's time to call it quits. But I did kind of think, and I was really looking forward, and I, uh, I will really look forward to the commentary that surrounds the end of this series, because as a cultural phenomenon, this show has been 
insane. And I think that there will be some really clever unpacking in the coming months as they kind of tie it all up as to how much of an impact, both good and bad, this show has had on the zeitgeist, our conversations and pop culture. Yeah, and anyone who wants to downplay that, I mean, that's your prerogative. If you want to kind of roll your eyes at the Kardashians, that's up to you. But I did really love a tweet by Bella Mackey this week that said, my unpopular opinion is that I'm bored by people saying they've never watched a minute of Keeping Up With The Kardashians. Like it or not, being willfully out of touch with something so present in pop culture for a decade doesn't make you more interesting. And I so resonate with that sentiment. I mean, I kind of roll my eyes at the people who roll their eyes at pop culture moments. Yeah, same. Like it's one of my real annoyances when you see an article about the Kardashians, say Kylie or Kendall Jenner, and someone comments, who are these people? No idea who they are. And expects people to explain it to them or, as if they are like so highbrow they couldn't possibly concern themselves with lowbrow content. It's like you are not any better than the rest of us for not caring about something that is hugely relevant to the majority of people. It just makes me like feel annoyed to be like you really want to one-up us all by pretending you don't know who Kylie Jenner is. I feel like those people just want to fucking meddle to be honest <laughs> but I also loved Bella Mackey's tweet. I mean I ha- I'm not even one that's consumed a lot of the ki- the Kardashians but I've consumed a fuckload of Kardashian media. I think that's the other thing that a lot of people willfully play down is that the media that they produce outside of this show. I mean I actually saw a tweet on the the day that this was announced Mish and it was from an Aussie journo and she wrote on Twitter that she was kind of eye-rolling that a university, a Melbourne university, had sent out a media alert offering expert commentary on the Kardashian cancellation. The entire comment section under this tweet made a mockery of it all that a university would even dare send out experts about this. And it just feels completely out of touch to not consider what this announcement says about changing TV habits and consumption habits, about the changing nature of celebrity and the cultural impact of that show. Like, I just rolled my eyes back at the people eye rolling. Mm. Let's talk about why we think this cancellation has come now because there are Mm. plenty of rumours going around. There are a couple of interviews that have been done over the last few days from the Kardashian family. I want to hear from you, first of all, why do you think now was the time and that the 20th season was the time to call it quits? I mean, firstly, 20 is a very round number, so I'm (laughs) stoked that they rounded it at 20. There's a couple of things going on here. Constance Grady wrote a really good piece for Vox this week kind of arguing that the Kardashians don't need this show anymore. And I found that interesting because I was like, really, have they needed it for the last, you know, 10 seasons? But she wrote, but at this point, it's also clear that the Kardashians have outgrown their reality show platform. For 13 years, Keeping Up With The Kardashians has operated less as the center of the family business and more as an advertisement for the family's many operations. And now the Kardashian Jenners have hit a point where they no longer need that ad. And when Constance Grady put it in words like that, I was like, I think that's bang on. It's not the idea that Keeping Up With The Kardashians necessarily generated them work or publicity, but it was just one giant billboard for all of the businesses that they were trying to build. I do love that. If I'm honest, though, I think the real reason is a little more straightforward. Sources have come forward and said that contract negotiations were kind of stalled when E's parent company, NBC Universal, originally promised the family more money. So apparently the family yeah. was looking at another three-season deal. They were looking at over $150 million for the next three seasons. But those talks were put on pause because of the coronavirus pandemic, because everyone has been hit so hard economically, NBC Universal no longer had the means to offer them that huge paycheck. And I think from there, the option of continuing on for the same amount of money and no level of inflation 
became less and less appealing to everyone. I mean, we know that Kim Kardashian has been really hamstrung with what her partner, Kanye West, has been going through mentally and going through in the public eye. Apparently, she's really at a crossroads as to how public she is with what she's going through. Her private life increasingly involves her family and her children, so that would be difficult to film and to kind of navigate. Apparently, Kylie Jenner isn't a huge fan of filming the show. We know that Kendall Jenner isn't. We know that Kourtney Kardashian has said for years that she doesn't want to film the show anymore. Really, it seems that the only people keen to continue were Khloe Kardashian, Kris Jenner and Scott Disick. And that's not enough for a show. (laughs) It's definitely not enough for a show. And I tell you what, I couldn't be (laughs) less surprised by the names that wanted to keep going or likely wanted to keep going. I think you're right, though. Like, at what point do the Kardashians become far too expensive for a network? A network would have to consider whether that's worth their money. The LA Times also wrote a really good piece this week, Mish, about the changing nature of TV habits and made the point that it's hard for cable, I guess, as it's called in the US, to keep up with streaming services now. They did interview a guy called Ross Beans, who's an e-marketer analyst, who said, despite the COVID-19 pandemic that has kept Americans confined to their living rooms like never before, 2020 is expected to be a record year for the number of people who ditch pay TV, in part because it's just too expensive. Like some families are paying between $80 and $100 a month for cable when something like Netflix or Stan or Prime is a, a quarter of that. The other element here is ratings. I mean, keeping up with the Kardashians' ratings peaked with the season four finale in February 2010, which had 4.8 million total viewers, according to Nielsen. This is also from that LA Times piece. The most recent episode had just 810,000 total viewers. Yeah, just not as relevant anymore. And we are so splintered, I guess, amongst so many different platforms. You're right. Mitch and I were paying for Foxtel up until last year and stopped because we were like, well, why do we do this? We pay for Stan, we pay for Netflix. We basically get everything we want from those platforms. I find it so interesting that our generation went through the, I guess, transition from free-to-air TV to cable. Yeah. And cable was like the big threat to -to free-to-air. And now we're going through the streaming giant phase where cable really can't survive. Like I know Foxtel has launched Binge and I'm really interested to see how Binge does as a platform. I've only just paid for its subscription now and I really do like some of the shows on there. Yeah. But it's just so interesting how one industry has gone through so much profound change in our like user behavior in such a relatively short amount of time. I also read that Constance Grady piece in Vox and I pulled out a different quote that I wanted to put to you. Keeping up with the Kardashians isn't where the serious numbers are anymore. When the most recent season aired in April, it captured fewer than a million viewers an episode. And this was despite premiering during quarantine when Americans were desperate for distractions. Instead, the attention the Kardashians capture and sell comes to them on social media. Kim has 188 million followers on Instagram. Kendall has 139 million. Kylie has 195 million. With those kind of numbers, who needs television? I mean, and it's true. I get that. I do get that. But I also think you could have wheeled out that argument maybe five five years ago. You know what I mean? When they had just such a stranglehold and they've always had such a stranglehold on Instagram and on Twitter. So I do think the better argument is also one that Amy Chozik wrote for the New York Times in 2019, which said, family turmoil feeds the celebrity news cycle, which drives interest into the TV show and then helps to publicize an ever increasing number of sponsorships and branded products. These sponsorships and branded products and businesses that have built are so, so well established now that they just stand alone and they don't need anything else to prop them up. Absolutely. Hey, I think that's all we've got time for. I think it is. Thank you so much for everyone listening. If you got to the end of this show, well done. Congratulations. (laughs) 
Um, I, what we, what's our outro? <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, if you have any thoughts, please call our hotline. As we said at the top of the episode, we are so loving listening to your messages to us and kind of hearing your feedback on the show. It is so wonderful to hear all your voices. We really do wish we could include more than a couple in every app. But hopefully, Zara, maybe we'll be able to do like a big episode at the end of the year or something where we go deep into yeah, the mailbag. I'd love to do that. That's a good idea that's come on just right now. Well done. <laughs> if you want more from us, as always, we are on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. We are in our book club Facebook group, Shameless Podcast Book Club. I am... About 100 pages, Mish, into A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing, which we will be talking about on our podcast sort of towards the end of the month. So we are so looking forward to that. In the meantime, we'll be back in your ears on Thursday. We'll be back in your ears on Thursday. If you could, chuck us a subscribe or a follow, depending on where you're listening. That helps us out in the charts and it helps us find new listeners every single week. Thank you so much, guys. We'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.